Welcome to Plantful Life. I'm your host, Stephanie Diane. And in this New Year's Eve episode, I have a fireside chat with my sweetheart, Eddie Lin. He's the blogger behind Deep End Dining. Yes, he risked his stomach on raw chicken and lived to tell about it on Evan Kleiman's Good Food. He began his well-known food blog, Deep End Dining, around fall of 2004. Almost immediately, it began to receive critical attention, as one of his entries was selected to be in the 2005 food anthology, Best Food Writing. Eddie is the author of Lonely Planet's Extreme Cuisine, a guidebook about exotic foods around the globe. His extreme food exploits and essays have been covered by NPR, PBS, The Los Angeles Times, OC Weekly, Black Book Magazine, Food and Wine, The Daily Telegraph, The Guardian, USA Today, and others. Eddie was an on-air contributor and segment producer for KCRW's long-running Good Food and has appeared on Visiting with Huel Hauser, Bizarre Foods with Andrew Zimmern, Freakiest Foods, Eat Street, KABC Eyewitness News's The Man Who Eats Everything, and CSI NY. Eddie Lin was a guest judge on Top Chef Masters, among other popular TV food competition shows, such as Master Chef. Eddie's ideal job as a tasting judge kept him busy traveling the country to vet hopeful cooking contestants for shows like The Taste with Anthony Bourdain, Nigella Lawson, Chef Ludo Lefebvre, and Chef Marcus Samuelson. He also appeared on Knife Fight in 2013 alongside Top Chef Ilan Hall. His long-ago attempted YouTube series, Kamikaze Kitchen, featured unsuspecting chefs who are ambushed at their restaurants with a mystery ingredient, and usually it's something you would not find on the menu, like alligator. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Eddie is, a cur- is currently contributing to LA Taco and LA Times, covering restaurants and interesting food stories around the city. He's also writing his food memoir titled All You Can Eat Hell, A Requiem for a Restaurant, about his fam- family's failed all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet in Houston, Texas, and his coming-of-age exile into lonely adulthood as the number one son of Taiwanese immigrants. Eddie and I have dined together at some of the best vegan restaurants around LA for the past nine years. Our favorite dates happen to take place at vegan Chinese restaurants in particular. We also like to go have dim sum in LA's famed San Gabriel neighborhood, where some of the most authentic Chinese restaurants are found. And what's Eddie's favorite dim sum dish? Chicken feet. Yeah. So how am I, a plant-based vegan chef and host of the Plantful Life podcast, with this crazy guy? Well, I'll let you listen in to this episode to find out.
Well, it is New Year's Eve here in Santa Fe, New Mexico, as I'm sitting here with my sweetie, Eddie Lynn. I'm your sweetie. You're my sweetie. <laughs> and we're just hanging out here by the fire. This is the best New Year's Eve I've ever had. <laughs> because all the other New Year's Eves have been all full of expectations that were never met and all this big production and and then ultimately loneliness at the end of the night. Oh. I know. Which is why you wanted to watch Harry Met Sally. Yeah. Or when Harry Met Sally. When Harry Met Sally. Correctly. Yeah. But we call it Harry Met Sally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I think most people who are fans call it Harry, Harry Met, Met Sally. Sally. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've always been a fan. Yeah. But you're especially a fan. I am. I I used to watch that probably several times a year because I loved it so much. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I even had the soundtrack, the Mm -hmm. Harry Connick Jr. You know, vocals soundtrack. That was a great soundtrack. Yeah. And that put him on the map. I met him. Oh, really? When I lived in New Orleans. How was he? He was very nice. How old was he? Gosh, I don't know. I was in my twenties at the time. <laughs> oh, so he's—he's he's he was playing a, an upright piano in the middle of the street. I think they yeah. were filming a video or something. Uh-huh. Yeah, and he's I was walking. And I was only... walking down the street. Oh, yeah, yeah. He—he's only a few years older. Like probably. He's not. He's our contemporary. Yeah, yeah. he's probably only four years older than. Yeah. Maybe even yeah. So I'm going to give the Plant for Life listeners a little bit of background on the food writer and food critic Eddie Lynn, not the sweetheart Eddie Lynn. Well, I guess it kind of blends together a little bit. But well, my resume? Yeah, your resume. So if you don't know who my sweetie is, he is a world-renowned food critic. Can I say that? Maybe um, not currently world-renowned. <laughs> Maybe... He was years. he was the OG food blogger before food bloggers were a thing. You know what? I have to. Can you? Can I have you tell to be us a little bit about that. I, sh- I shouldn't be so humble, I guess, because yeah. I was when the internet was a much smaller place. Um, I remember starting out as a food blogger back in two thousand four, and in order to kind of connect with other food bloggers, you had to email them. Or, yeah, basically it was email. There was really no other way. It's like AOL. You've got (laughs) mail. You've got mail. (laughs) Right? That time? It wasn't quite that far. Okay, sorry. I'm just kidding. But (laughs) close, close. We had to email each other to, to connect. And it wasn't just contacting someone in the same city, even a city as big as Los Angeles, where you would think there would be a bunch of food bloggers, but at that time, there actually weren't. And I had to, I, I know I connected with people from New, in New York in, um, I think in Seattle, um, Canada, um, maybe in Europe, because there were definitely food 
bloggers in Europe, famous ones. Um, I can't think of them off the top of my head right now, but they, definitely in France, um, in England, um, in Asia. I'm not sure, but you know, you get the idea. They weren't nearby. It wasn't like, hey, let's check out this new restaurant together, you know, in uh, Was it Burbank. like the Yelp elite? No, because because there <laughs> was, was no like one a... there was no one to designate de- designate you as elite. Right. You were so just this was way before that. Yeah, you had to this was before Yelp. So you had to build your own community. You had to seek each other out. And I mean that this is this is not really answering um, or... Well, you're going on a tangent. Yeah, I'm going on okay. a tangent. It's okay. Well, what I'm trying to say is <laughs> when you said I'm you know, internationally... You're the OG food blogger. Well, specifically... You're one of them, let's say. Right. But when you say internationally renowned, that's kind of true because there weren't that many of us. Right. So when I'm contacted by The Guardian UK or... Oh, that's right. You did that whole thing. I was I, I was covered in the Guardian, <laughs> and right. what's the other one? The the Daily. I mean, the Telegraph. You, you or, did that. Um, or what was it? You had was a it? spot on some show. Oh no! That you was, were eating the that, live that was baby something octopus else. or something. That was like a very that? controversial. Um, <laughs> I think it was. Was it a BBC show? It yeah, might, it might it better was. than BBC, BBC Four or something. Yeah. I don't remember, but. Um, that's another thing, but yeah, I, I, I was internationally renowned as the man who will eat anything as, as the weird food (laughs) critic blogger before Andrew Zimmern, before Andrew Zimmern. It was uh, actually your idea. Let's just say. Yeah. Before bizarre food. Yeah. I'm not going to say they, they stole the idea, but, well, um, I did, I was, um, I was uh, what I had a contract with Pie Town Productions in Burbank, I think. Yeah, Burbank. Um, <clears throat> and um, they um, put a spec together for the Food Network and for Travel Channel. And I basically um, did it this. God, what is it called? Uh, an option agreement or something like that. But it's kind of a, especially if you're not a known talent or something, um, it's not a great deal because you let, you know, Food Network or Travel Channel um, consider your idea for like a year without. They can hang on to it for you, even if they're not going to do anything oh, with I it. Oh, I see. Okay, so they have a kind of a yeah. They kind of have this. Um, and then after contract. that year, <clears throat> then they then you you ask if they're going to do anything with it. Then they have to release release and then the contract. Bizarre foods came out. Well, the problem is we approached Food Network first because we thought the Food Network would be the best fit for a weird food show, and they were never interested, but they wanted to hang on to the idea. Um, I got to Yeah, I have some water here. Yeah. I can tell you need. Yeah. So, okay, we're going to we're going to go in that direction. Um, but we're also going to go, I think, back because oh, yeah. 
<clears throat> because now that I've been feeding Eddie lots of veggie foods, like his mom wants him to eat, eat his wedgies, <laughs> eat your wedgie. And she, she actually, okay, Eddie's mom is so cute. She will FaceTime him from Taiwan just to make sure he's eating his vegetables, even though Eddie is 50-something. <laughs> she has to make sure from Taiwan, FaceTime him to make sure he's eating his vegetables. And I just think that's so cute. Which, of course, I mean, what does she think I'm feeding you? <laughs> She's very happy. She's very happy that I'm with you and that you're vegan because she, I guess, fantasizes that that I'm on a vegan diet too because of you. She doesn't really know. Well, she's kind of close. Yeah. Except for the Frito pie you ate today. I just had a Frito pie just now. And the fry bread taco per se. Well, Frito pie could be vegan. It could be. Could be, right? Yeah. Aren't Fritos vegan? I don't know what they are. What are what's in Fritos? I don't want Corn. to know. I don't want to know. Corn and other I, I didn't eat mystery it. ingredients. My dear listeners, I did not eat it. But I did <laughs> try to veganize the so-called Indian taco that I had, which was essentially fry bread. I don't want to think about what it was fried in. Although it didn't taste like lard, I have to say. It was very clean tasting. It wasn't lard. No. Lard is too expensive now. (laughs) It was basically... Oh, there goes your phone. Um, Fry bread with beans and red uh, red chili sauce. And it was actually pretty good with a little bit of iceberg lettuce. Yeah, shredded. Shredded. And I asked for no onions because I can't stand (laughs) raw onions. And no meat, obviously, and no cheese. So it was, yeah, I kind of dressed it down. But you, on the other hand. I had (laughs) the version that they intended, and I was very underwhelmed. He was. And his mother would not be happy with him. Well, no. (laughs) We're not going to tell her that I had fry bread taco. But that's the thing. It wasn't. Uh, it didn't resemble a taco at all. Nothing like the fry it. bread. I thought in my in my imagination before I actually saw how they um, serve it. I thought the fry bread would be like round, yeah, like right. a tortilla, like right. a flat tortilla. Yeah, me too. And then they would put the ingredients on top, and then you would fold the exactly. round fry bread. Doesn't that make sense? And it would be delicious and crunchy, and right. you know, like a crunchy in, taco. Yeah. Instead, yeah. they tear the fry bread into bite-sized pieces and kind of mix it in with all the ingredients. It was like a weird nacho thing. Yeah, more like a nachos than the But it was kind of really, um, yeah. Anyway, we're going on that. But your mom would not be happy with that. So the direction I wanted to take this, (laughs) because, okay, so Eddie Lin, food critic, food writer, who's writing his food memoir, about yes. his family. Um, Can you tell I'm, us? I'm uh, working on it. Yes, you are. In between naps. Yeah. <laughs> it's a. I just I call it a memoir, but it's not really a traditional memoir. Like well, it kind of is. You know, from it's not an cradle to current. Right. So it's not like this is my life so far. It's actually about a very specific slice. Not a very long period of time, 
about three years when we had the restaurant before we didn't. And the restaurant was? Um, Hong Kong Cafe in Houston, Texas. And um, it, it's, uh, it was an all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet. And the memoir is called All You Can Eat Hell because it was a hellish experience working with my parents um, in a restaurant that required you to feed as many people per day as possible because the whole business model of an all-you-can-eat all buffet is based on volume. You know, we put out food, we fill up the, the steam table with beef broccoli, stir-fried vegetables, noodles, fried rice, you know, sweet and sour soup. And it Don't forget the egg rolls. The egg rolls, the, the very popular egg rolls. <laughs> so no matter, no matter if one person or a hundred people come through, that steam table has to be f- filled when we open our doors at 11 a.m. So it's in our best interest that we have a lot of people coming through. Otherwise, if we have too few coming through, um, that, that, food, that food cost is going to be the same. And we're not going to get as many paying people to you know, offset those food costs and hopefully make a profit. So that's why we need a lot of people coming through. Um, and um, it's a problem when you're in a very highly competitive restaurant area in Houston. All kinds of choices. All of these choices being price sensitive which I can translate as the customers are in that area are cheapskates. So they have no loyalty and they literally will decide on where to go to lunch um, with a price differential of 25 cents. You know, meaning if restaurant A charges $4.50 for you know, a lunch special, restaurant B charges $4.25, they're going to restaurant B. And, and not a Hong Kong cafe. Yeah. And with almost no regard for the quality or what they're actually even eating, a lot of the customers were um, office drones. So people who just nine to five, you know, middle management, um, support staff, you know those egg roll hoarders. Well, that's that's something else. I, I my <laughs> my mother and I had nicknames for all our various customers and and all their preferences and predilections and and specific things that they like to consume more than others. So the egg roll hoarder, self-explanatory. Um, there's also red meat. Eater or red meat man, I forget what I call Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, those are just the nicknames we gave. But anyway, the, the book... There are a lot of funny nicknames. Yeah, there's a lot of them. So the book is uh, really about this particular time frame when my family owned this restaurant. And um, my 
my uh, summary for it, or my elevator pitch is, it's a story about about a family restaurant uh, sinking or swimming. Um, this story is about sinking. I think I, I put it that way. I, I didn't. I didn't phrase Something it. Like that, yeah. yeah, I didn't phrase it exactly right. But yeah, it's a story about uh, uh, sinking or swimming. But it, um, our rest, you know, our restaurant's uh, story is actually about the sinking. So it's it's not going to end well, <laughs> but it's funny, and it's um, kind of heartwarming in parts, and it's a family. It's kind of a fresh off the boat. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of a fresh off the boat, um, but. I focused entirely on the restaurant, not entirely, I shouldn't say that, uh, for the majority, you know, I, I focus on the restaurant. Eddie Huang's book, Fresh Off the Boat, has some of the restaurant, his family's restaurant in there. Their restaurant, by the way, was, was not a failing restaurant. His his father's, like I think it was a steakhouse or something like that, or a seafood steakhouse. Um, I think it was a steakhouse. Um, it, it actually thrived. So very different. You know, their restaurant did well. They, he supported their family with it. Um, it was more Eddie's book is more about um, his life. You yeah, know, right? And, Where this your what you're writing about is a period of time. Yeah, specifically mm-hmm. in the restaurant with your family. Yeah, and and I I don't really other than some flashbacks. Um, and the flashbacks are pertinent in how I handle things during those three years. You know, I explain, okay, so this is why, you know, I had a problem with my dad, you know, was, um, Willie Lomain. Yeah, uh, that, that's his <laughs> nickname, Willie Lomain. That's a reference to Death of a Salesman, Willie Lomain. <laughs> The tragic figure um, in uh, in the book in the classic uh, play, um, but uh, yeah, it, it's just it's it's a really um, it's it's not just a, because it's an it's an allegory for um, the American dream, you know, and how sometimes. It's not necessarily the success story that, you know, you see, um, you know, like celebrated. This one is not a celebration. This one's actually kind of a, well, it's a cautionary tale. (laughs) Like if you're going to open a business, especially a restaurant, which is one of the hardest businesses to consider, you know, operating, you better know what you're doing. And... If you're going to be even more foolish and decide to open an all-you-can-eat restaurant, which is one of the worst restaurants, types of restaurants to own, um, you should definitely consider not doing it. You know, and maybe my book will help you decide that. <laughs> but I don't even know. I th- I I don't even think I this book is going to almost be relevant in that regard. No, because. Buffets are actually going out. They're they're out. Yeah, they're actually going out. You're so sad about. Mm-hmm. And be, well, definitely because of COVID. Um, but they were already on the way out. Yeah. You know, they were already kind of the style of eating that's that's not really 
gluttony. Yeah, it, it wasn't really something people, you know, wanted anymore. And COVID basically accelerated that demise of that genre of restaurant. It could always come back. You know, people mm -hmm. still love having all this huge spread in front of them, you know, mm -hmm. and um, the freedom to just choose what they want and put on their plate. People still like that idea, mm -hmm. but it's going to be different, I think, when it does come back, you know, after the pandemic. I think it eventually will, you know, maybe it'll be a smarter version because what if another pandemic is around the corner? Let's not even go there. Right. Well, we 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 kind of got to think about that. It's, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to do a buffet when you're, there's a lot of contact by you know, a lot of people, um, they're going to have to have to come up with a smarter buffet, you know, and someone will. Mm -hmm. There'll be a smarter buffet. Mm -hmm. So growing up, your mom fed everyone how many meals a day? And how many courses? Oh, um, no, the big the big meal, um, you know, when we were in school, we we had a light breakfast. We probably just, you know, had cereal. We, we, we ate just cereal and milk. It wasn't anything really big for breakfast. Mm -hmm. um, and then lunch at school. Right. And I usually ate school lunch. I, I didn't really brown bag. Oh, let's get into that. Um, school, school lunch? School lunch. I loved school lunches. But what was your homemade school lunch? Oh, when I did have to brown bag it? Yep. Well, this was really interesting because in elementary school, <laughs> back when I was growing up, same time as you, um, you know how nowadays, if you're a poor kid, your lunch is subsidized and they're not going to not feed a kid. Thank goodness, right, that they've, you know, become... Um, sensitive to that and, and, you know, much more uh, humanitarian about it. But when we were growing up, if you didn't have money to buy lunch, you weren't going to get lunch. And so my parents, they were not, you know, really wealthy or anything. And they were trying to save up for a house and things like that. So they were would really save they I even mean, was it that they saved the big mac container for your lunch? yeah yeah they would save the big mac containers but but that's for your it, sandwich that's if we had big Macs. see that's the thing Have, going to mcdonald's was a really big treat so it, the the rare occasion that we did go to mcdonald's my mom would save the containers yeah and use them as kind of like tupperware and then what kind of sandwich did she put inside she would put in a braised um it was kind of like roast beef, Chinese roast beef. So what it was was a really tough piece of tendony slices of beef, probably marinated in soy sauce, and then she would kind of slow cook it. But it wasn't like soft, you know, like sandwich meat. It wasn't like bologna or slices of ham. And then she would put this braised, pretty thick tendony meat um, in between untoasted Roman meal wheat bread. And so when you finally took it out after, you know, 
few hours later for for lunch, the bread glommed onto the um, meat. You know, it was like it was like kind of formed onto the meat. You know, the it, it wasn't like again, like, like I said, it wasn't toasted, right? So it was soft. And so here I am trying to eat this, you know, Chinese braised beef with this bread. And as I'm chewing it, it's just it, it's just like this big ball of unswallowable mass of carbs and you know animal protein that just getting worse and worse. And I I couldn't even get enough make enough saliva <laughs> to break it down. It was so impossible. That sounds so disgusting. I know. And then, well, that wasn't even the worst part. Like, I'm suffering here trying to eat this lunch. And then the other kids, the the non-Chinese kids, a.k.a. the white kids. Like me. Yeah. Although I wouldn't have made fun of you. They, they're just staring at me. And they're at, then, they, of course, someone's, someone has to ask, what are you, what's your lunch? What are you eating? And then, you know, just say a sandwich. I'm like, yeah, but what's in there? You know, and then, you know, of course, some kid's going to say, yeah, there's a dog, you know, because I'm the Chinese kid. Right. So, so I, um, I ended up, like, if I wanted school lunch, I would, they would let you uh, wash dishes. Because, you know, back then they had trays for the kids. And then I think they had metal utensils that wasn't disposable. And they might have had cups for juice and things like that, you know. So there were, there were you know, trays to wash. So I would work in, uh, like before the lunch break, they would call us from class. And we would eat before. And then we would wash dishes for the rest of the lunch and but it was kind of like embarrassing you know because when the kids came through and they would see you washing dishes um or helps help with you know help the cafeteria ladies they knew you were the poor kid who couldn't afford lunch you know so that that kind of was a stigma and then, um, yeah, but that's that's what I did if I wanted to eat lunch, eat the school's lunch. However, if I didn't want the school's lunch and I uh, and I wanted a white kid's lunch because white kids had the best lunches. <laughs> white kids had not beef tendon inside no. in in between Roman meal bread. No, they had glorious lunches that and. Um, Eddie Huang talks about this. Margaret Cho talks about this. They, they, you know, the the quintessential. It was probably my lunch. Yeah, the quintessential white kid lunch. Yep, I had um, hostess apple pie or cherry pie for dessert, which of course I always ate first, and an apple, like an actual apple, and I had a bag of kettle potato chips, I think, or Hawaiian potato chips. And a sandwich, which what was kind of sandwich? not the kind of sandwich you ate. What kind of sandwich? Well, at that time, because I wasn't into meat, mm-hmm. it was um, 
white bread and mayo. That was my thing. Oh, just mayo? Yeah. I liked mayo sandwiches. Okay, so your yours yours <laughs> your sandwich I was a mayo sandwich kid. So your sandwich was the typical lunch except for the sandwich. I, mean, I didn't your, have bologna. Your lunch. I didn't have Oscar Meyer. Right. No. So No, I, it was gross. Gross. Um, or cheese. Yeah. I would have if if it was a really good day, uh-huh. I would have a really nice slice of you know, Jarlsberg or oh, Swiss or fancy. something like that. Oh my gosh. Not and even No. And I would have mayo because I was obsessed with mayo and bread. I would have hated your sandwich because I, I love bologna. I, I love bologna. I never did. I thought it was disgusting. Well, so you're lucky because um, I, would have not, I would not have stolen your lunch because that's what I did when I wanted a, an American lunch, a standard right. American lunch. Um, and I knew which kid had what in their lunches, and I would just take their lunch. Oh wait! From their cubby hole. I also had Hawaiian fruit punch. In a oh can. oh my god! Yes. Oh the can. The can. Like the Hawaiian punch. Yeah. Okay. The so Hawaiian so punch did you ever have can. the little plastic, little half pint? I think it was. Yeah, I think so. With the little seal that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That little aluminum seal. Yeah. Those were pretty interesting. Those are pretty good. cool. Those are those are really big. Or Minute Maid, was it lemonade or something like that? Was, oh, yeah. oh, I had Hanson's. Uh, oh, the the soda, the natural soda. You were in a in a. <laughs> you, you were in another zip area zip oh, code. But okay, <laughs> a more expensive zip code. But I had carob chips for dessert sometimes, which. I didn't understand why. I really didn't understand why I didn't get chocolate instead. Like, what was up with carob? I don't know. It was a big deal in the 70s. Yeah. Carob. I never liked it. No. no. Yeah. It, it, no. It, didn't, no. it didn't. It couldn't, it couldn't compete against cho- no. real chocolate. I mean, you don't have, like, now you don't have people doing carob ceremonies. No one, no one does. Carob's gone. They do cacao ceremonies, but not carob. No. That doesn't, what it, doesn't feel right. No. Anyway... Well, where did Carib go? Where did it go? It's gone, right? It's gone I, with the 70s. Yeah, it's gone with macrame. No, macrame's back. <laughs> macrame is back. Actually, macrame is back. What are you talking about? It's been back for a while. It's gone with color sand art or, <laughs> or other things we did. Color, <laughs> right? Did you ever do that? The color? Yes, of course I did. <laughs> or the whammo... Uh, magic window or whatever it was that magic sand art or whatever it yeah. was and uh we're going on such a 70s i know di- direction here but okay so you would have coveted my lunch only if i had a bologna sandwich yeah i that's the thing i loved most if i got a kid's lunch that had wonder bread with mayo Bologna and the the American cheese, the the hermetic, hermetically sealed American cheese. You mean Velveeta slices? No, the craft. Oh, craft, craft. Craft. I scored. Like if I got that, it was the jackpot. And if and then if there was a Twinkie and oh yeah, the, what about chocodiles? The, yeah, that's even better. But if it was a Twinkie <laughs> or Ding Dongs, um, Ding Dongs. 
or a cupcake or the chocolate cupcake and then the punch and like a bag of chips chips or or cheese puffs that would be heaven that would be it but but then eventually i got caught because i got i just i was you know too greedy and of course they figured out who it was was the chinese (laughs) kid because you know what i did i think i did a really dumb amateur move i think i swapped lunches instead of stole the lunch oh i think one time so I think people that, knew who that was were. my downfall uh, yeah now i remember instead of just stealing the lunch which they would have had a harder time figuring out who i swapped <laughs> lunch so i took the white kids lunch and then i left my chinese mom lunch <laughs> And they knew who you were. And they knew right away. They were like, oh, my God. Like, this can only, you know, there was probably. Only be one. Yeah. There were, well, there was probably some Chinese snack in there, too. Like, some kind of, like, um, uh, like, like dried uh, um, squid uh, pack, prepackaged thing. That's like Margaret Cho. And yeah. She's like. Nobody wants to trade that. No, 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 what she said was even funnier. What did she say? She goes, "You can't trade that shit." That's right. <laughs> Which I'm sorry, I thought was G-rated. was so funny. Sorry, Margaret. That's that such a funny line, but it's true. <laughs> you cannot trade that lunch. So, but I made a, yeah. That was my blunder. I, I, tr- I swapped it because I think I felt bad that the kid was not going to have a lunch. So I'm like, well. He can have my lunch. As if, cover up, Eddie. Right, as Good if he was going to eat it, right? As if he was going, oh my God, Chinese braised beef uh, with a uh, Roman meal with that's not untoasted. squishy Roman meal. Yeah. Mm, yummy. And, uh, you know, a <laughs> container of soy milk. See, soy milk wasn't even known. It wasn't even a thing. thing back then. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, out of, out of my guilt, you know, I swapped. And then I got caught. <laughs> that was that was the end of my lunch stealing career. Well, you were the family garbage disposal. Yep, I was the because I was the last one at the table. That's because you, that's because you ate slow. Yeah. Well, I that's kind of good. Uh-huh. I you- ate slow. You know why I ate slow? Because I enjoyed the food. I savored it. Everyone else was just shoveling the food. In their mouths, and and then they finished. I really enjoyed my mother's cooking. I think she's one of the best cooks um, I've ever come across. And she would cook minimum five courses. Sometimes she would cook seven or eight courses. And this is each night, because my father required that of her. You know, he's old school. And she's old school, you know, from from mainland China, you know, moved to Taiwan, to the U.S. And we had had no idea how good we had it compared to other kids, you know, eating these banquets every night. And my mom, I did, I, oh my God, I feel so incredibly ungrateful now thinking back because, you know, when you're a kid, what you're used to, you just can't take for granted and you think everyone else has the same thing. And now I look back, I'm like, oh my God, 
how did she do that? How did you pull that off? And she would buy groceries, fresh groceries, almost every other day. Your mom and I have a lot in common. We do. I'm kind of grocery obsessed. Mm-hmm. And I and I do love making a lot of food for everyone. So I can kind of imagine, as a mother, why she was so driven. Have you ever seen Eat, Drink, Man, Woman? Yes. You know the opening scene? Yes. That's my mom. Totally. Like... That is her. Almost every night. Yeah. I remember one time, I think it was when we were staying in that house in Santa Barbara for the family reunion. And I was in the kitchen and it was my turn to cook for everyone. And we were like, how many? 22 people? Yeah, we were, yeah, about. And I was so happy because it was my turn to cook. And I knew what I was going to make. I was going to make a big pot of soup and other things. But your mom was hungry. So I decided to make her a veggie quesadilla. Just to hold her over, you know. And I had the tortillas, I had the cheese, but I wanted to add some fresh veggies in there. So I had some broccoli and I was chopping it up. And she was watching my every move, right? (laughs) She was like a hawk. She was like sitting there at the counter watching every little thing I did. And I thought, okay, fine, let her watch. And she was watching how I held my knife and, you know, the whole nine yards. So, of course, I make the big mistake of chopping off the broccoli stem and tossing it into the garbage can. And she goes, ah, yeah! (laughs) And she reaches into the garbage can and she fishes out the broccoli stem. She takes it. She finds another cutting board. She starts chopping it and she douses it in vinegar and she starts eating it right away. And she says, do not waste and I was yeah. like, I was kind of traumatized. <laughs> I'm sorry, you had a. Well, I won't experience. ever do that again. But she. And to this day, she, when I chop broccoli, yeah. I chop the stem because yeah. I think of your mom, and I'm like, she's right. Yeah. Yeah. You really shouldn't waste the. You broccoli can use stem. it. You can use it. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, a professional. I think a professional chef would have grab that stem out of the garbage. I just have a, you know? I don't know where it came from, but I chop the ends off of things. Yeah. Like, and I'll throw them away. Yeah. Like, I just don't use them. A professional chef would make like soup stock out of, things, I know, you know, little I know. stems. And, 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 and yes, th- I should. I, you know? I know. And I've done that, but yeah. I got kind of lazy. <laughs> and I just tossed the stems into the garbage can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I actually love the stems. I, I slice them thinly. Yes, that's what she did. Yeah, I slice them thinly and I put them in the stir fry with the other, the, the you know, the floret part right. of the broccoli. Yeah, I've done that now, inspired yeah. by your mom. Yeah. Um, but that was funny. And I, of course, I made her a big quesadilla and she was very happy, but she was not happy about me throwing broccoli stem in the garbage. She definitely, yeah, um, she's very critical of other other cooks. But she liked my cooking. Yeah. But she just wanted to be sure. Of you course. you were you know, you knew what you were doing. Yeah, I think I got I lost points. <laughs> well, the first time you cooked for my parents was the the duck au l'orange. Okay, uh, everyone. So I have a weird freakish talent. <laughs> yes. should, should we let them know? Yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't know, it might ruin your cred. No, it's okay. So it actually gives me more cred, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I'm really good at braising. So I wanted to impress 
Eddie's parents. So I decided to make a braised duck. And I had a clay pot. I forget exactly how I did it, but I just have an instinct. Yeah. I just have an instinct. And it was the second time I ever did this. Actually, I didn't do this exact recipe, which I kind of made up. Mm-hmm. The first time I, I braised duck wasn't really a winner. But the second time, this was the second time for your parents. And I did ginger, orange, and duck. So I kind of forget, because it's been a long time, how I did it exactly. But, but it I, took took you a couple days. Yeah, it wasn't I put just a lot of in, no. Yeah. I had a lot of intention in that dish, and I think it was about three days. Three days, yeah. Three days, and I kept it in the clay pot right after I braised it, and I put it in the fridge because I wanted the oh, duck. Oh yeah, yeah. I wanted the duck to sit in the broth, like a confit almost. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. And then when your mom arrived and your dad, and it was the day that I was going to not be home and you were going to be alone with your parents that day as they were visiting. And I knew you three would have this for lunch. So I instructed your mom, I shouldn't have, to take the clay pot out and let it come to room temperature, which of course she made a face at me like, duh. (laughs) And then I asked her, if she wanted to make rice and she looked at me like what you talk about willis you know she like she gave me this look like of course like why are you even instructing me on how to make rice or should i make rice like rice is a given and i i took kind of a step backwards and i went okay i'll let you have at it and i just let it go and I left the house with this this sort of trepidation, like, I hope it comes out okay. Yeah, yeah. You were, you were nervous. I was really nervous. Yeah. And then how did it go? It was, it, it couldn't have gone more perfect. Um, we sat down and my, my mom took a bite and she was immediately impressed she was like this is really good and um but she was also like how did you do this you know because she knew you were uh vegan well at the time i was vegetarian you're vegetarian but you know she just wasn't she knew i didn't eat meat yeah so she she didn't know how it was possible that that a vegetarian could could braise a duck so well um, and the flavors were really good. She really commented on how flavorful it was. But she still was skeptical. Like, how did she do that? She just, like, she couldn't um, match it up with how you made this duck. And then my dad, okay, who <laughs> at that time, his appetite wasn't, you know, he was older. His, his appetite wasn't that big. Your curmudgeon-y, curmudgeon grumpy. Yeah grumpy old chinese man and also very picky about his food yeah very picky yeah and denture wearing yeah he needed to be soft (laughs) yes nice and tender (laughs) so he had like three helpings yeah he had three he had three helpings and he had 
a smile on his face when I came home. Yeah. And he kept thanking me. Yeah. He kept saying, thank you, thank yeah. you, thank yeah. you, thank you. And then he'd look at me and it was almost like that cartoon, like the birds twittering around his head. Yeah. Like, he, yeah, he fell, he fell for you. He <laughs> fell for you. He, well, he, he, he um, that's funny. I think it was during the, I think it was during the family reunion in Santa Barbara. Um, he was really grumpy whenever he saw me. He was so grumpy. He was like really, he would always try to get into some kind of argument. argument. Yeah. But then whenever you walk into the room, he just, you just soothed, <laughs> you soothed the, you know, the, the, beast the, you know the it's raging like in beast. the cartoons when you play the violin for the beast and all of a sudden there's birds twittering around yeah. his head and he's like in in la la land yeah, yeah. but then but then oh, the funny yeah. the really funny part of this is okay so that same reunion at some point my mom noticed all this and so whenever you came into the room and he was all grumpy my mom would say oh your girlfriend is here or sweetheart or your sweetheart yeah yeah. Your sweetie, sweetheart. Your sweetheart. Your sweetheart. That's what you would say. Your sweetheart. And then he would have this smile on his face, you know. Yeah. And I would still be all mad and like. And I'd have to divert his attention. Yeah. And it take worked. Take him on a walk. I remember he loved it. Like you would bring him something to eat or drink or tea. Right. And you would like you would you would and uh, yeah he just <laughs> he could not get enough of that. Like you paying attention to him. He Do just, you think it was all because of the duck? No, I think it's because of you too. <laughs> you know, he you know, the vegetarian he, who made the braised duck. Oh, he thinks you're beautiful and everything. <laughs> you don't you didn't even have to make duck for him. He would he would be smitten. <laughs> but I think growing up though with your family I'm trying to really source or pinpoint your food thing. That's that's my mom. It's your mom. It's my mom. Um, uh, she, even though we didn't eat a lot of different foods from other cultures, mm -hmm. the sheer variety uh, my mom cooked and served us, uh, you couldn't help but, but be interested in food. You know, like uh, fish stews and... Um, fermented vegetables um stir fries grilled uh, meats uh poached chicken roasted um ducks roasted pork um you know uh exotic mushroom like asian mushroom dishes uh, uh braised um daikon radish we had so many types of food that weren't really common at restaurants unless in America, in America yeah unless you really sought out some real, a special place in Chinatown or in San Gabriel and San Gabriel was just starting out as far as a Chinese community during that time. Taiwanese community yeah. actually right during back in the 70s um, ingredients were hard to come by she smuggled a lot of hard to, to source Asian ingredients like, you know, spices, roots. Um, she would bring back seeds to plant vegetables 
you know, that you couldn't find easily in grocery stores. Um, so what she did was pretty miraculous, I have to confess, you know, now um, in hindsight. Um, so you could not help but wonder about ingredients and about flavors and about textures and about cooking techniques, you know. When you ate this stuff every day, and all, uh, not a lot of it was repeated, you know, um, because she had this encyclopedic, you know, this, she had this cookbook in her head, a really thick, dense recipe of recipe book in her head. Um, and she had a really great instinct for technique, for flavors, for, you know, what ingredients what flavors, what, you know, to, what spices to put in, what, you know, um, temperature to cook things at. Uh, she just, she never referred to, I've never seen her look at a recipe, you know. Um, and whenever I would ask, oh, how did you make that? You know, when I started, when I was like a teenager and I started to get more interested in, you know, actually cooking something, she hated that question. You know, how did you make that? As if she was going to all of a sudden turn into, you know, Julia Childs and and, and give some kind of demo class, right? <laughs> some kind of cooking, you know. Right. Um, like Jacques Pepin. Yeah. He, he even says that a recipe is just an interpretation, that it's different every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's never really truly the same dish. Exactly. Right. And so she would say, if you want to learn... You watch me. She never liked writing anything down, telling you. She said, if you're serious about wanting to know how to cook this, just watch me, you know, and then you'll know. And that was her. (laughs) So I had to watch her, you know, Mm -hmm. at some point. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of argued with her. I'm like, well, why can't, what's so hard about writing it down, you know? Um, But she, she just hated, you know. Right. She hated, what she really didn't like was um, taking the time to, because that's not how she did things, you know, to, to methodically do something like that, to, to actually put it down on paper. Um, because she just, it's like, it's like a musician, you know. It's, for her, she it's wasn't, improv. she wasn't a technician, you know, like there's technicians an and there's artists, yeah, right? right. There's people who do it with by with feeling, right. and there's people who do it by the book, and you can kind of tell the difference. Well, I'm a by the feeling. Yeah. Right. Yeah, which is why it's so hard to write down a recipe right. in a, in the blog post because I have to remember how I did something, and I don't actually remember. Right. I just do it, so it takes me a few times to redo it to figure out what the recipe is to put down. In a recipe, but yeah, I, I'm kind of with your mom. Like it's a little bit annoying yeah. because it's like, well, you should know how to do that. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I guess it's the assumption that people know how to cook. Yeah. That that should be a basic skill. Yeah. You know. But I went to culinary school to learn how to cook because no one really taught me. Yeah. So to me, I wasn't there for professional reasons, even though I was in a professional cooking school. I was there to learn how to cook, basically. 
And that gave me the foundation so that I could just make stuff up. Yeah. And go by instinct. And that sounds like what your mom did. Uh She just went by instinct. Yeah. She had, she had uh, knife skills that. Oh, yeah. um, I took for granted when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And when I saw like Martin Yan do it on TV, yeah, you know he would do things that my mom did, and I was like, wait a minute, I already know how to do that, and I had no idea she knew real knife skills, you know, that professionals used. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty cool, you know, and and I realized at some point of my food writing um, career that I knew a lot more than I thought I did, mm-hmm. you know, so. But you have a really, really good palate. And that's because many, of my mom, too. That's because of all the different flavors. I don't she, think that's something that's very common either. Like, you've tasted things that I've made, and I didn't tell you what went into it, but you knew what it was. And then you would taste something wherever we were, and you would detect things that I may not detect. Uh-huh. So you have a really sensitive palate, which made you such a great tasting judge. Yeah. So for listeners who don't know, what shows have you been a judge on? Uh, the big ones. Um, <laughs> Top Chef, Top Chef uh, Masters, Master Chef. Um, gosh. I... The Taste. Well, the taste I wasn't on the actual show. No, but you were uh, a I was a ju- judge. I was a judge for the auditions, right? For the competitors. But you were on the other shows, right? Yeah, I was on camera for those shows I just listed, and then I was also a tasting judge for the auditions for several seasons of uh, Master Chef. I was tasting judge for the auditions for all seasons of The Taste, which lasted three seasons. Right. And that that that's it's, it was a job that. I was born to do. You were. Because definitely. not only because of my amazing palate, like you so nicely say, <laughs> but because of something even more crucial. Your stomach. My iron stomach. If I didn't have the stomach I have, I would probably not be alive <laughs> to tell you any of this. Um, I've tasted literally thousands upon thousands of dishes over all those oh my god I don't know how many auditions I've done hundreds of people on a day yeah hundreds of people per day of hopeful contestants on shows that Uh, bring you their homemade food and stand in line and some of of them crossing state lines yeah traveled with potato salad with, with with Dubious potato salads <laughs> that that I happily or stupidly taste, <laughs> and and then I'm fine. I I I have never gotten food poisoning. It's crazy, and I nearly died well, from kale salad. Yeah, nearly not ex- no no exaggeration. <sighs> like I went into shock that night. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. 3 a.m. I bad. almost died. I'm not kidding. It was very bad. Yeah. Yeah. I was ice cold and mm-hmm. probably dangerously low blood pressure from vomiting and diarrhea all night. And that was scary because of a fucking kale salad. Really? I know. It's amazing I even eat kale. 
I know. I mean, it, it must be very traumatizing <laughs> when you it was are, terrible. are oh, you're at death's door because of a kale salad. It's, <laughs> and how could you look at another, you know, leaf of kale again? I had some today. Yeah, I know. It's it's yeah, it's hard. Um, yeah. So you have such an extensive, I mean, basically a lifetime of food knowledge and food experience and and you and I come from kind of opposite ends of the spectrum I uh-huh. suppose because you're the because when when we met you were still filming Kamikaze Kitchen yeah my ill-fated YouTube show <laughs> everything with you is ill-fated <laughs> in a comedic way ill-fated ill-fated sounds so dramatic but yeah i mean you're the exotic what extreme cuisine guy yeah as your book title Uh previous book title or as as channel 7 eyewitness news dubbed me the man who eats everything was it everything or anything anything one of those i don't know (laughs) the man who eats anything yeah and that was a pretty cool title. It is. It is. And that was... Oh, my God. Yeah. And yet, here we are. Yeah. And we've, together, figured out ways for us to dine very happily together and find really great Really cool, interesting food. Yeah. And um, I guess... vegan options. We can go back to your plant-based theme... Because a lot of the interest, interesting stuff right now is plant-based. Mm-hmm. Like we just had the plant-based dim sum. The first, apparently the first plant-based dim sum restaurant. And it, the Shumai had Omni Pork, which is a uh-huh. a plant-based pork from Taiwan. Yeah. That, right. That's, uh, it's made with shiitake mushrooms, uh-huh. mostly, mm-hmm. and soy. Yeah. It tasted very clean. Right. I didn't have that heaviness and kind of... Um, indigestion that i get from impossible it, d- it didn't feel foreign no, right? it didn't, uh-uh, no it didn't feel like artificial no it didn't yeah. and it didn't feel too salty or uh-huh. taste too salty. no it didn't it didn't no it wasn't it wasn't this overload of sodium uh-huh. to compensate for it not being meat right and all the other things that these other faux meat products tend to be mm-hmm. kind of this overly processed stuff the omni pork from taiwan i was really impressed i was really impressed with that i I think what's really cool is i don't even think a lot of chefs in the u.s know about omni pork i think we were just really um i I just we we just kind of lucked out yeah by and our favorite Dates have been in San Gabriel having vegan Chinese food uh-huh. and tea, lots of tea. <laughs> That's our idea of a hot date. Yeah, and but the the vegan stuff is really exciting. It is. So we've had a lot of great vegan meals together. Yes, we have. And you really enjoy it. I do. Mm-hmm. We've really, I mean, we've tried so many different places together as a plant-based 
and carnivore or omnivore. I uh, guess you are more of an omnivore. I am an omnivore. Omnivore. And we dine really well together. And I think that surprises a lot of people. Yeah. Right? Uh, people used to ask me all the time, how do you two eat together? He's <laughs> vegan and you eat weird stuff. How do you eat together? And I just like, I just eat weird vegan stuff with her. <laughs> <laughs> I eat vegetables, weird vegetables. <laughs> but we have no problem. No. Yeah. It, it works quite harmoniously. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you really enjoy a lot of the vegan yeah. restaurants that we've gone to. Yeah. In fact, our first date oh, was no. at Matthew Kenny's Make. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Why were you saying, oh, no? I thought you were referring to a one of our first dates, the notorious pig brain date. Oh. Which we don't have to talk about now. That we was could, my birthday. Yeah, I know, which makes it even worse. Listeners, I just want you to know, my dear Plant Full Life listeners, I sat in front of raw pig brains at the table on my birthday because I'm dating Eddie Lynn, <laughs> a.k.a. zombie, um, <laughs> zombie. <laughs> zombie apocalypse eater. Brains. <laughs> So, okay, no, we have to segue here. We have to tell the little story about how your mom forced you to eat pig brains. Oh, my gosh. This is going to be a really long podcast. No, okay. I promise it won't be. Um, <laughs> this this was one of the early traumas of my life, which transformed into a very pivotal moment in my life. Um, that made me the person who I am today. Uh, when I was, I think it was, I was six years old, and my younger brother Warren, five years old, we were waiting, sitting at the counter, waiting for my mom to finish uh, cooking our lunch. We didn't know what it was. She was being kind of secretive, which she usually isn't. I mean, she wasn't, super secretive but she kind of didn't want to tell us you know when we asked she was like don't worry you like um so of course we worried and um you know a few minutes later she unceremoniously presents us with a plate of steamed pig brains um seasoned with a little bit of soy sauce, sesame oil, I think it was some garlic maybe, ginger. Um, and there the lobes of brain, brains, I don't know, I think there were like at least at least two or three. Um, and then she stood there and ordered us to eat our lunch. And Warren and I just couldn't believe our eyes. We, we, we were like, oh my God, those, those are brains. She didn't, you know how some restaurants, they serve brain, but that doesn't look like it. They, they like do something yeah, all with the it. Time. Right? They do something with it. I don't know why it. they don't make a plant-based pig brain. <laughs> you don't know why? <laughs> oh God. 
So <laughs> it would probably be pretty easy to do because I'll, I'll explain later. Yeah, maybe like konjac root and like, uh, what's that well, like? No, uh, it's, it's not even that complicated. Shirataki noodle or whatever Not even that complicated, really. <laughs> tofu skin? So, so tofu, pretty much tofu. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we were staring at these two very or three very obvious brains kind of jiggling in front of us. Um, with <laughs> like my, it was on my birthday. <laughs> yeah. With my mom just waiting for us. And we were, we refused. Well, you are crazy, woman. <laughs> we know if you think we're going to eat, put these pig brains in our mouths. So she gave us the ultimatum and she 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 played dirty she and she played hardball basically said if you don't eat your lunch i will not let you watch speed racer later that's not how she said it how did she say it you say it <laughs> i i can't remember right now i can't yes, remember you can what did she say she said you don't eat your big brain. No Don't speed eat. racer. There you go. No speed racer. No speed racer. And that was it. That's all it took. So <laughs> through tears, we force fed ourselves the pig brains. Because you needed to watch speed racer. Because. Yeah, it was like. Because could, yeah. we had to. Like we were willing to devour pig brains just to watch speed racer. <laughs> And as we were eating and sobbing, it it kind of like uh, dawned on us that this pig brain was actually pretty good. It was actually not bad. You know, it, it was it was soft like... You told me it was like buttery scrambled eggs. It was like buttery scrambled eggs and tofu. Like, yeah. It was like a tofu scramble. Um and but it was it was soft or it wasn't like it wasn't mapo like tofu, mapo it was tofu. like yeah it was very soft it wasn't it wasn't um, like that fresh japanese tofu when they make that fresh japanese tofu a little firmer than that okay slightly firmer than that but there was this distinct animal protein kind of umaminess to it so you knew it wasn't you know soy do you think tofu. they could self culture that <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I don't see why not. Um, and then, of course, the, the sesame and the soy and the other ingredients. You know, like like tofu, pig brain kind of doesn't have much flavor. So it it needs seasoning, you know, and, and sauce. Um, and at the end of that meal we Warren and I decided we love pig brains we actually from that day on we actually craved it it's really bad for you though oh yeah it's all cholesterol completely it's all it's like which is why I worry for for you you and because your mom facetimes you Mm -hmm. from Taiwan to make sure you're eating your veggies I would like to for the new year Oh, boy. Challenge you. You're making a resolution for me. No, it's not a resolution. It's kind of not even a 30-day vegan challenge. It's (laughs) like a all-you-can-eat kale challenge. Uh So 
I don't even really think it's a challenge. It's just, well, I don't even want to go into your kitchen nightmares refrigerator in the garage. <laughs> I, I'm seriously, I'm thinking of inviting Gordon Ramsay no, to come no, over to, <laughs> to fridge shame you. But I'd like you to eat more veggies this 2022. Okay. Will you do it? Yes, I will. All you can eat kale. You'll, all you can eat kale? All I can eat kale. <laughs> and not your uh, secret two-week-old fried chicken in your scary refrigerator? I don't need that anymore. That's what you say. But seriously, I'd like you to eat more veggies. I I have been. I food I'm you having lots a of vegetable veggies. soup right now. I know. And you had the big coconut curry veggie mm-hmm. sweet potato dish I made yeah. today. That was delicious. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's welcome in the new Yes, year. I will happily do that. Well, With all you can eat. Kale. <laughs> Is that going to be the title of your book? Rhymes with hell. <laughs> hell. <laughs> kale. I don't only mean kale, but you get the gist. Yes, I do. Okay. So... It's almost, well, not really. No. We have two hours until midnight. Well, it's midnight in New York? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Right now? Right now. And we're probably going to watch When Harry Met Sally, and you're probably going to doze off before midnight. Yeah. And tomorrow, I'm going to give you more veggies. (laughs) So exciting, I know. But no, really, I think we've had... A lot of great meals that were entirely plant-based together. Yeah. So, what's wrong with that? Nothing. (laughs) A healthy new year is is a great resolution. Yeah. And I'd also really, both of us, want to exercise with you more. because. Oh, yeah. That's been ridiculous. We used to go to the gym together all the time. Uh And then the pandemic. So... I've noticed, I mean, I did yoga for, what, 20 minutes today, and I already noticed a difference. We walked, not a lot, but we've walked enough around mm-hmm. town just because it's been cold and snowing here in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And um, But I'd like to get us some bikes and go biking, because we do walk pretty often. Well, that means I have to wear a helmet. I look like a dork. You are. But more, more, even more. (laughs) So, yeah. So more exercise. Yes. More veggies. More veggies, more exercise. And more vegan dim sum. More vegan dim sum. And more delicious dates having plant-based Chinese food. Plant-based any food. Yeah. So. It's a deal. Awesome. Yes, let's let's uh, audio shake on that. <laughs> How are people going to know we shook hands? Well, Just high five. High five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, that was a high five, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. So, thank you so much for being my absolutely most special guest on Plantful Life, honey. I'm your very special guest. Yeah. <laughs> On a very special family ties. That's what I feel like. 
<laughs> I feel like I'm a special guest star <laughs> on a very special different strokes. I know, I'm kind of a nerd. They don't do that anymore, huh? No. On, on TV shows? Uh-uh. Like, a very special eight is enough. <laughs> oh, I'm going way too far back. No. <laughs> We're telling our, our biological age here. Yeah. Chronological, actually. Who cares? Yeah, that's, that's, that's doesn't matter. We don't. We are. We're embracing our our fifties. Our fifties. We're we're pretty healthy, I think, for the mm-hmm. most part. And I think since we've been together, you've gotten much healthier. Yeah, I've I've ad- adopted a healthier lifestyle. Yeah. So, on that note, honey, thank you for being my most special guest. <laughs> I'm honored. Thanks for having me. <laughs> That's the radio <laughs> sign-off. Thanks for having me. I know it is, isn't it? <laughs> I know. It's kind of that awkward. How do you close this? <laughs> well, this Thanks. is really this is a really geeky grammar thing. Whenever I hear someone on the radio say, Thanks for having me. And then I have to end that sentence. Thanks for having me on your program. <laughs> On your show. You're such a word nerd. I am. Because thanks for having me is a dangling thing. It's just... A dangling participle. Thanks for having me for lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me imprisoned. (laughs) Thanks for having what? You what? (laughs) Sorry. Now we're turning it into a different show. Oh my gosh. Okay, we're really going to end we're this. We're writers. We're writers too. We're foodies and we're writers. Like I know. We can't help it. I can't I, help it. I can't either. But anyway, I'm going to wrap this up. Wrap it up. And say thank you for being on Plantful Life, Eddie Lynn. My pleasure. <laughs>